Hi everyone, so stoked to be doing one of these again. Uh, this is Christian, of course, and tonight we're going to be talking about a little indie comic book called Area 51, The Helix Project, created by author Trevor Fernandez Linkevich. Trevor is a really awesome guest, and if you ever wanted to make a comic or wanted to create a work of fiction, this is pretty much all we talk about there. It's podcast, uh, his process, the journey... Uh, really the state of comics, uh, currently, and, um, yeah, just, we break it down, we talk, uh, Trevor and I met at New York Comic Con, which is really cool, talk a bit about that, but more than anything, um, I think this episode's really dedicated to creatives, and to the team behind, obviously, Area 51, who are phenomenal, uh, if you haven't checked this comic out, uh, we have an article that basically covered issue six, but more importantly, um, there's just, there's cover art, and, uh, a lot of a lot of samples out there that you can check out. Um, but yeah, uh, without further ado, check out this episode and um, yeah, enjoy. Welcome to the Workbrand Podcast. Available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and theworkbrand.com. Yeah, man, I, I appreciate the um, the thoughtfulness behind that for sure. Uh, I think a, a lot of times I go into these interviews and people forget that like most of the time their audiences have never even heard of this stuff. So yeah, yeah, which is why I thought you know we'll just we'll just shoot the shit mostly. So Trevor, thank you for coming on to the Workprint Podcast. We're talking about Area 51, The Helix Project, which is the comic book that you've kickstarted the first five issues of and are debuting the sixth issue very much like right now. Um, how do you pronounce your last name, if I don't, you don't mind me asking? So uh, there are, are, I guess, a, a ton of ways to do it, but I feel like the most, uh, the the easiest on the ear is Fernandes Lenkevich. Fernandes Lenkevich. That, that, that's like uh, cadence to it. That's really cool. Yeah, it's cool until you have to write it out. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, but it, it it sticks in the air, which is like a good thing to have in this industry because everyone needs a a catch thing. Um, mine is I'm Christian like the religion, Angelus like Los Angeles, and yet everyone still gets my name wrong, which is very bizarre. So it, it's cool um, that it there's like a there's like a cadence and there's a there's a rhyming to it. I guess it makes you memorable. I would hope so. I mean, if if nothing else but my last name, then I'll ha I'll take it. <laughs> yeah. All right. So I have eight questions here. Uh, eight. Let me see. I have ten questions here. <laughs> I can't count. I'm going to be asking you about comics and obviously about this comic in particular and your history about how you developed and, and worked on this stuff. So yeah, um, let's get right to it. Um, all right. So for people who don't know, you and I met through a uh, Substack for uh, Scott Snyder's Best Jacket Press. Uh, I've heard your life story over dinner, but like, I think, not the whole life story, but how you got into comics. And I think yeah. readers would love to hear it, if you don't mind sharing. Um, could you share with us your comic journey? Uh, what made you pivot from researcher to YouTube reviewer, and then finally creating your own comic? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's um, really, I, I got into reading comics kind of late in life compared to most people. I started reading comics around 16, 17, which um usually seems to be around the time that most people take their their break from comics before they inevitably return uh, but that's when i i got things rolling and um you know r r regarding the scott snyder or meeting via scott snyder 
Um, it was actually his Court of Owls, his Batman Court of Owls with Greg Capullo and John Glapian um, that got me into reading comics regularly. And um, I, I think really eventually just being in college, I didn't have many friends that were into comics. So um, I started like this really small YouTube channel where I was doing reviews and, and really like at the end of the day was just desperate to talk about comics with people. Um, and I, I developed, um, I don't know if it was necessarily the skill of reviewing, but I definitely developed a, a, a voice and an opinion. And, um, you know, I felt that in order to be a decent reviewer, I should know something about the, the technical development of, of the medium. Um, so I started doing a lot of research on craft uh, and, and ended up having the great fortune to interview uh, a lot of talented people that I really admired. And, um, you know, eventually I, I had gotten asked a couple times why I wasn't actually making comics. Mm -hmm. And I didn't really have an answer for them. And uh, so come like March of 2019, I was at a, a press panel for Marvel. And it asked a question um, at this panel with uh, Chris Claremont and... Um, Marvel editor-in-chief C.B. Cebulski about like how to balance these sort of corporate interests with artistic voice and integrity and um, the sort of legacy of the characters and things like that and um, I, I ended up having a chat with C.B. after that and, and he you know uh, leveraged some pretty kind uh, words and just said that he, he didn't get a lot of questions like that asked me a little bit about myself and if I had ever thought about working in comics uh, <laughs> and at that point, I had said no. Uh, it never seemed realistic until the editor-in-chief of Marvel asked me <laughs> whether or not I thought about working in comics. Which is incredible. Um, yeah, I, I, and it was just a, uh, you know, it, it sent me home thinking very differently about what I wanted. Um, and I I was always a decent, I was always a good student, you know, when it came to um school and, and at the time I was studying molecular and cellular biology at the University of Connecticut but I realized uh the things that I was like procrastinating that with were were more creative and I was a little bit more creatively inclined and um eventually I decided to tack on really really late uh an English degree just to kind of learn a little bit more about the craft and to see if I had it in me and uh March 2019 ended up interviewing for like an editorial internship and uh oh or, i'm sorry i meant to say march of 2020, 2020 yeah yeah march of 2020 uh and that just so happened to be the month that the apocalypse hit the united states uh <laughs> and like literally I, I think i said this at dinner the week that i was interviewing was the week that hand sanitizer and toilet paper was selling out everywhere and people in new york started wearing masks and i was like there's no way this is going to stick <laughs> um, so I get home, I get a call back a week later, um, with some interest. And then after that, we went on lockdown, uh, and I got a call about two weeks after that, just saying that, uh, they don't know when they're going to be back in the offices and, and that, um, you know, they were still interested, but you know, they, they couldn't do anything. Um, and then I, I heard from, uh, you know, I, I went down to my like own little pit of, of self-pity and, mm -hmm. Couple months later, got a call from them, just sort of more of the we're interested, but we still don't know. And by the end of that year, I was just like, you know what? 
I don't know when the world's going to go back to normal. Nobody does. And I don't want to ask for permission to pursue something I'm passionate about. And, and at the end of the day, uh, because indie comics are, are such a particular uphill battle, mm-hmm. you really don't know, you know, it, it, it's like you're going through it in a bit of a haze, but to, to another end, if it sticks, it sticks. Like, you know, you've got it if you can make it work that way. And I felt like that was going to be the ultimate test for myself. And uh, here we are, uh, January will be two years since that first book came out. And, and it, it also march, marks the launch of the sixth and final book in this series. And, and now I'm actively working on three other projects outside of that. And uh, I, and I also have the great fortune of sitting here and, and chatting with you. So, Dude, yeah, that's... That's, that's kind of the lead up. That's incredible. Like your journey is such a heartfelt, like overcoming difficulty slash, you know, like almost there, but you know, just shy of it and then kind of taking it and doing it yourself. I mean, that is sort of the American dream in a lot of ways, which is why like, dude, when we, when we talked, I mean, I, I see so much potential in you, not to toot your own horn, but like, yeah, it's like, I, I just, I find it incredible. Uh, your, your, your story, I guess. Um, which I appreciate that, man. Thank you. Seriously, yeah, yeah. It means a lot to me. Yeah, and the and the comic is fantastic. Which is um actually like so for anyone interested, uh, can you tell us w- our pitch for Area Fifty One the Helix Project? What's it about, and why should readers uh, check it out and buy a copy? Yeah, so Area Fifty One the Helix Project is a sci-fi thriller, and in short, um, it's about a boy from uh, of of two worlds uh, driven to excavate the trauma of his past after being confronted by a mysterious letter that puts his father's murder into question. Um, this journey drops him into the jaws of a Cold War genetics conspiracy and forces him to face a twisted ghost from his past as it plunges a dagger into pretty much everything he thought he knew about himself, ultimately what it means to be human. I'm sweet of it. There's a, you know, if you where to find uh, the previous Kickstarter page. There's a much longer, uh, <laughs> far more verbi- uh, verbal uh, explanation, but that is sort of the short suite of it at the end of the day. Um, it's a really personal story about reconciling identity, memory, and loss. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, you know, for me at that time, writing the story, um, I didn't know who I was. You know, I was going to school for one thing, um, thinking... I was going to spend the next 10 years of my life in academia working toward a PhD. Um, also realizing that there was a potential to indulge myself creatively and, and pursue something like comics. And, and so, yeah, uh, that's kind of where a lot of this came from. And it, uh, it also to that, uh, you know, the number one piece of advice that I got from the, the people that I admired was to write what you know. And uh, I spent a lot of money learning about <laughs> molecular <laughs> biology and genetics. So I was like, well, here you go. That's a perfect response and honestly um, a really good uh, answer. Um, the, the reason I say that is because my next question is literally uh, you've had a lot of uh, – you, you feature a lot of detail in laboratories in this particular comic. Is there anything that you learned in college and, and your experiences there that is in the, uh, the script and the storyline for uh, – for the comic uh yeah i mean i you know my my primary focus uh, in school was um protein pathways and, and human molecular genetics and so um like the in the earlier issues uh as 
not to spoil anything, but uh, as they're sort of working out, um, they, as in like the United States government, is trying to work out how to transplant, uh, successfully transplant the biological properties of extraterrestrial DNA onto soldiers. Uh, they talk a, a lot about sort of how the uh, how genetics are are um, interacting with the immune system, and 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 they sort of talk about how they're attempting to circumvent uh, the immune response to manipulating DNA or uh, to um, introducing foreign DNA into a host body. And uh, so that was actually uh, all that stuff about like leukocyte antigens and mm -hmm. um, antigen presenting cells was all stuff that I, I actually learned. And, and some of the stuff we had actually, I had actually played around with on a very, very basic level uh, in, in like lab during that, school so that's cool it's cool to be yeah like i i honestly thought it was just uh technical jargon i, di I didn't actually know that th this is a real thing that's pretty awesome yeah absolutely my one of my things was like i i didn't uh, committing to doing sci-fi for me meant making it um hard sci-fi and not just being like something fantastical but with like blinking lights metal and fleshy sort of textures you know i wanted it to have that sort of uh, purity to the genre as well as you know being sort of emotionally and personally pure yeah and it shows honestly like a lot of those pages i was like thinking there there is a lot happening here on the science side i don't know if <laughs> he's just making this up or if this actually does play into his experience so thank you for sharing with us uh that because yeah that's cool i, I mean as you said you write what you know and this is a world that not many people actually get to see. So it being incorporated into the science, uh, particularly sci-fi, is just fascinating. And I think I think um, people who work in these fields will totally appreciate that about your comic. Oh yeah, I mean I I thank you for saying that. That was definitely something I wanted to push toward. Um, a lot of my favorite writers, you know, took the time and did the research. And the cool thing was is that I I already did a lot of the research. And uh, <laughs> when it came down to incorporating it into the comic it was just double checking myself and making sure that uh, the memory was correct um and it, it's honestly a lot of fun you know <laughs> i like one of my favorite things about reading like a batman comic would be when batman would get into like the forensic science or into the sort of like chemistry behind what he was doing mm -hmm. um it was it, it always appealed to me because it, it gave not necessarily just the Batman character, but the the narrative voice of the writer and their it, it just it gave them like a credibility to me, yeah. you know. And so that was something I really wanted to carry over. Um, was was that level of credibility? Like I, I had a lot of fun. Like in issue five, without spoiling anything, there's something with like snake venom, you know, <laughs> and it talks about how, um, you know, this like the the sarcolemma. Uh, of the victim is is degrading and calcium is flooding their 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 bloodstream like that was all you know like actually a lot of fun for me to try to incorporate and and, a, and an interesting challenge at trying to incorporate that in a way that makes sense to anybody who's reading it mm -hmm. and like it it works like it it just made me go okay i don't fully comprehend everything happening behind the scenes but i'm not supposed to i'm supposed to just get immersed by what's happening in this environment i think you did a really good job setting that up if i if i do say so yeah and uh, those are those are a lot of fun like honestly those are a lot of fun to write yeah like you can see that in on the page and stuff too i think i think uh i mean i've told you this in 
or I wrote it in my review. I think as as you go on with the series, um, you really do come into your own as a writer, and it show it shows so much in issue five. I love issue five was like easily my favorite, but that's just me. Um, I appreciate that, man. I agree. There's parts of me where, um, you know, I, I am I'm really really proud of where I started. Uh, I've feel confident that my floor, uh, which which was the beginning of the series, was the first thing I ever wrote. Floor was pretty high. I think compared to the average bear. Um, but what makes me really proud is the the leap I felt like was taken by the time we got to issue five. Um, I, I just, I remember, remember like when I began to get the art in for that one, mm-hmm. thinking to myself, like, man, this is just drastically like, it's like for all the Dragon Ball fans out there, I felt like the writer that came out of, issue five had like sat in the hyperbolic time chamber <laughs> a hot minute and figured himself out. And and also a part of that to the credit of my team, man, um, when, when Sam, uh, Iwunze hopped on that book, mm-hmm. uh, I realized once I realized how good he was when he was doing issue five, uh, it got me even more excited. And I think it came through in the way that I edited the entire last half of that script added four more pages so that we could just do bigger and better things and and i i owe a lot of that to sam because that that inspiration and it it, it i'm not a religious person but it felt divine <laughs> i think a great choice of words um i'm going to skip a few questions ahead and ask you then uh can you talk about your team the artists that you're working with and what the collaborative process has been like yeah, absolutely. So for the first four issues, I worked with a um, an artist out of Brazil named Marcelo Salaza. Um, and, you know, uh, at that point, it was just kind of time to part ways. Um, but uh, from uh, from the beginning, we've had the same colorist, Marcio Ferreri, who has gotten better with every issue and, and started uh, just ridic- uh, got at a ridiculously high pedestal. Mm-hmm. Um, incredibly talented colorist, just like an aptitude for texture and palette. Um, I mean, he's so good that uh, I saw some of his original art in his portfolio. He ended up doing a, a cover for issue five. It's the, the the secret variant, which is absolutely stunning. Marcio is, is just a ridiculous talent. And, uh, you know, if I'm ever in a pinch and I know I, I really need a crunch time, that guy... Like there, there are no corners cut with him. Um, so mm-hmm. I'm, I'm incredibly grateful for that. Um, we have uh, Taylor Esposito, who is an industry gold standard. Uh, congratulations to him. Just took home a Ringo this year. I believe a Tripwire Award as well for best letterer. Um, and, and so that always, that reaffirms that uh, I, I had good taste going into this book. <laughs> and and I'm, I'm really grateful that... Uh, he was kind enough to hear me out and, and listen to my pitch and, um, you know, decide to, uh, to, to work with me on this book because his letters definitely add more to um, what we're trying to do. Uh, and, of course, uh, we have our, our variant cover artist, uh, Adrian Bonilla, who's been with us from the beginning. Just I, I just I think that pretty much every cover he does is more iconic than the last. And the fun thing about working with Adrian is that he's him and I are, are around the same age. I think he might have like two two-ish years on me. Mm-hmm. Um, to watch how far he's developed, because he started a ridiculously high level. 
right now that guy can compete with any cover artist, any comic book artist in the industry. High praise. And he's still under 30. I mean, it's, it's <laughs> insane. The guy's a ridiculous talent. He's got a great mind for it. His, um, his, his ability also to verbalize everything, I think, cements his knowledge and his ability in a big way. Um, you know, he's, he's actually right now cracking away on his cover for issue six and, um, man, everything I've seen of it from it so far is just bonkers. Like, I think he's going to outdo himself for like the sixth time because mm-hmm. he's done, uh, I guess this will be the eighth cover, but yeah, man, he just continues to, to grow. And then, and then finally, of course, uh, joining us for interiors for issues five and six, he did covers for four, five and six. Samuel Iwunze, who, uh, and I, I, I don't even think I have the words to explain just how much I enjoy collaborating with Sam and how good he is. I mean, you know, uh, we talked about it, I think, uh, before um, the recording, but like, he's so good. And the improvement to the visual representation of this comic expanded in a big bad way in issue five and, and, and in such to such a degree that um it, it inspired me to re-edit that the last bit of that script so that we could really play to his strengths is so evocative emotional and open and ready to lean into the characters and their expressions i mean like oh i mean you've you've seen pages of issue six yep um, and issue six is is just very unapologetic. It's very it's visceral very and intimate, but I don't want to spoil anything for the audience. Go ahead. Right, but yeah. but I mean, you know, seeing what he's able to do with these two characters mm-hmm. in this like, and I'm not, I'm going to be very vague, but these two characters in this like emotional combustion chamber, mm-hmm. um, that tells me everything I need to know about his ability, and I and and you know that that's just like. I could keep going on and on, man. His his design, his 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 ability to design is incredible. His ability to represent these sort of deeper thoughts and themes, um, visually through the artwork. Yeah, the level of is, detail is phenomenal. But yeah, dude, that when I saw his um, his, his cover for issue six, which which exclusive first look is on the work print for anybody who hasn't seen the article. I'll I'll, I'll link um, it too on the thing, but yeah. Yeah, for sure. You guys should go read it. Christian wrote an incredibly, incredibly insightful piece. Thank you. Uh, that I'm forever indebted for. Yeah, I mean, um, I, I was but, just speaking the truth, man. But go ahead. <laughs> thank you. Um, but that that when I saw that cover, I I almost fell over, man. Like, I mean, Sam. For me, like when it comes down to the cover art, yes, it is my number one marketing tool, and it needs to look cool. Mm-hmm. As, as like the pretentious writer of all this stuff, I'm always like, how are we representing the book? How is this going to be somebody's first sort of look to what this book is about? And like, he just blows my mind every time. Just a great collaborator. I love the the osmotic process of working with him. And um, what it, it, it exemplifies to me what makes working on comics so great mm-hmm. um, is that we don't always need to get it right the first time, but through the back and forth, we we come up with something that's far greater than the sum of its parts. Yeah, you just make um, some magic, yeah. you know. Yeah, dude. I mean, that guy is fucking magic. Excuse my French. <laughs> yeah. Brief shout out to the team, man. Like these guys are 
are incredible. I am I am incredibly grateful to, to we, and I'd be grateful to work on any project with these guys. But to be able to learn from them as collaborators at such a high level on this first project, I think is just like an invaluable experience to me. So yeah, shout out to them. Yeah, I mean that's awesome that you also gave them the credit. Like I I do. I don't know. I've done a lot of these, but like not everyone always credits the artists. And I'm like, that's not, don't do that. <laughs> so yeah. Um, and again, as you've mentioned, it's a huge, it is a huge collaborative process. So, um, yeah, I mean, these guys, these guys, like, you I, I mean, you've, you've now seen a peek at my scripts and I tend yeah. to be pretty descriptive, but like, odd, like some of the stuff that these guys turn out when it comes to the finished project is just better than anything I could possibly imagine. When, when when reality is better than imagination, something is going right. You Absolutely. Know what I mean? Yeah, I think like the visualization of artists uh, combined with the, uh, I guess what the, the, what the writer's trying to emote in, in the particular panels on the page, uh, that chemistry has always fascinated me, which is why when I saw your, you, you like showed me a copy of your first issue when we met and I was like, holy shit, this guy is already there um <laughs> on top of the fact that like the art was gorgeous and the lettering was, i was just like this looks like an actual dc this looks like a comic that was made by dc to be honest i was like oh fuck that's oh, good thanks, that's man. I, I appreciate that no, and that, that's always been a major goal you know yeah. um I, and i i when i came out the gate one of my biggest intentions was to make sure that nobody looked at this book thought any less of it um, in comparison to something from a major company. So it really does, uh, make my night to hear that, man. Thank you. Well, I mean, also whoever's listening, you have to try this out. Like if, if anything, try the first issue and you'll see what we're talking about. Like then obviously we've talked about it. You'll see copies, but like you should, you should buy the first issue just to see what the hell, like, like how amazing this, this, this IP is or this, this con, this project is, um, all right, we we still have a lot of questions, so I'm gonna try going through them really quickly. I don't know how much how pressed you for time you are tonight, so uh, I I opened up my schedule, man. The floor is yours. Oh, perfect. All right, so well, <laughs> we're good. Uh, that was a mistake because I have a lot to keep going with. Um, <laughs> all right, so all right, here's a, here's a quick one, quick jab, quickly. What is something that most people don't understand is difficult about making a comic? Ooh, that's a great question. That's why it's a jab. Um, so it's it's honestly. This is a really good question. My The first thing that came to mind was just that sometimes working with so many people, schedules get mixed up and there can be some, you know, a friction in that regard that slows down the book. But I think everybody knows that. Um, mm -hmm. I think, I think, hmm, hardest thing that nobody would expect, because I want to give an equally good answer to a good question. No, oh, no pressure at all, honestly. Whatever comes to mind. Um... You know, I guess, I guess, speaking from the writer's standpoint, I I can understand why some writers tend to overwrite the script. I think that the ability to pull yourself back and be moderate in doing it would be one of the harder things about being a writer. Um, I I I had the fortune of going into this after being like a very critical reviewer, and knowing that I hated when writers overwrote. Is a little bit easier going into it but there were still times where i like had this like beautiful poetic internal monologue uh, that i desperately wanted to keep on the page and then i was like oh, this just doesn't fit you mm -hmm. know this isn't that this this isn't this character's voice it's my voice um mm. 
And so finding that balance between including those things, those elements, textually speaking, that will enrich the page, the scene, the characters, the overall story, um, without going too far and being floral for the sake of showing off or just being floral because you want to be poetic as a creative person. So mm-hmm. it's just finding like being temperate in in your editing process if you are editing your own scripts. Um, but I always think that, you know, before, even if you're working with an editor, you, you know, you should be rereading your stuff before that goes to anybody um, and, and finding that balance between uh, what should be there, what is actually enhancing the page, because my thought process, I think, is a little bit um, subverted from other writers in that I want to do as much as I can without any text on the page. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And if I decide to include text, whether it's dialogue or narration or whatever, it has to enrich what is being visually represented or communicated in the comic, um, as opposed to you writing some long flowery poetic thing and be like, yeah, you gotta, you gotta bend around what I'm writing. Um, because ultimately like comics communicate most visually and also words in comics, just as much as the visual proliferation of paneling comics have a rhythmic value. So I have to think about sort of what the musicality of the scene is that I'm building. Um, and a lot of that, that, that a lot of that, the sort of the buck stops with how much or how little is going to be included in terms of, you know, the text, um, aside from obviously how well written the text is, but mm-hmm. this is me already being a, 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 a jackass and assuming that the text is going to be pretty decent. And so <laughs> I'm, I'm moderating it in that regard. Um, but yeah, I guess, I guess the, the thing that nobody expects is that, uh, you know, you gotta, you gotta moderate yourself and, and think about the sort of musicality of your comics, if that makes sense. I love the term musicality. Cause that is, that is a poetic way of putting it. I always say cadence, but musicality is a much funner word. Um, indirectly you answered two of my other questions, but I'll try spinning this question to still make it fit to another question. Cause that's how interviews work. And I don't know why I'm telling you my process. Um, <laughs> scripting is a lot like making sushi, which again is what we just talked about or what you just talked about. Um, it's all very specific and cut together pretty well. Uh, I've met a lot of comic creators and you're definitely somebody who is very particular about uh, words and how to visually see things on a page, which I really like about you. Um, I'd like to hear your thoughts though about the current comic medium today. What are some things you're nitpicky about as a creator right now in comparison to other comic creators? I'm not saying shit on somebody, but what are some things that you, that are like pet peeves of yours that you see in comics now? Oh, most dialogue in comics is awful. Yeah. I love comics, obviously. Um, I mean, like, if you could see several bookshelves around me filled with graphic novels, um, mm-hmm. and if you were to see the 20 something odd long boxes I have in this room, uh, I love comics and I adore comics. Mm-hmm. Um, but most comic book writers have no clue how to write dialogue for comics. Um, now, there's a portion of these 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 writers that don't know how to write dialogue to begin with. Uh, there are a portion of writers that learned everything they know about dialogue from cinema or television. Mm-hmm. And what people don't realize is, and 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 I, I think in in some regards, earlier on in my work, um, there were some areas that where I I could definitely have have improved, and I and I think I did moving forward. But we forget we as in comic book writers not only do you have to have the fluidity of dialogue as it would be performed right like the performance is another element in in 
in sort of the screenplay in, in cinema or film or mm -hmm. whatever. Um, but also like you need to be able to deliver the same amount of information in less space. Like you have physical space limitations mm -hmm. um, in comics, whereas like time in film and in cinema is a lot more forgiving. So it's like you're you're trying to replicate that same cadence, the idea that characters have a way of speaking or, or patterns of speech while also getting the amount of information you need to sort of um, deliver sort of off your chest, you have to do that with a lot less space. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, so I think a lot of comic book writers will either give you way too much information and flood the page, give you pretty much nothing, um, or just write really chunky like dialogue that doesn't that doesn't at least give the impression that people talk this way because dialogue, <laughs> particularly in comic comics, don't need to read how people actually talk. They need to kind of trick you into thinking that people talk this way. Yeah, you know what I mean. No, hundred percent, and I do think that's a. It's actually really cool that you mentioned that because that is a big misconception from people I've I've met who transitioned from screenwriting to comic book writing. Because hundred percent, you're right. Like you're you're limited to how much time you have to present shit, and like for screenplays, I'm not gonna say hey Stacy blah 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 and all that shit. Um, one of one of the questions I did have was regarding caption usage, just caption usage and how dialogue works, particularly for comics really does a good job of exposition and, and telling the audience without like overbearing it uh, and i feel like that that's different from how screenplays work because screenplays are very much you're supposed to be in the thick of it and sort of fall into it and it's supposed to feel a quote-unquote natural as compared to comics where there is there's definitely a natural cadence to it a natural rhythm to it but like you have to show in word bubbles you have to that shit's happening that, that things are going down that who names are where places are because there's no other way to, to do it you know Right, and and you want to do that without making it feel like you're you're at like you're stop you're at a stop and go you know in the middle of the story. Hundred um, percent. Yeah. It needs to be rhythmic, and it needs to, it, it needs to sort of carry its own its own music, you know, just to kind of keep that metaphor alive, um, or that analogy alive, I should say. Were you a musician it's, by um, any chance, or? Huh? Were you a musician by any chance? Oh, for sure. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Oh. Before I was like legally old enough to work, uh, I was doing like music gigs uh, as a teenager. <laughs> Me too. That's why, that's probably why we get along. Wait, wait, what, what instrument did you play? Uh, I was best at guitar. Um, I ended up um, in high school playing trumpet and then I actually went on to play trumpet for uh, the Yukon, uh, like basketball, the pep band and for the marching band. Oh, that's cool. Um, and I'm a, I'm a semi-competent drummer. Oh, there you um, go. But I would say... By far, uh, I was I was best at, at guitar and and I would say second up the trumpet. I I was a bass player and then I stopped because I guess I had to do an adult thing and try to pick a major that would make me money, uh, which yeah. didn't work out either. <laughs> so Dude, I I was at least I was like maybe ninety seconds away from going to school for music. So I one hundred percent hear you. Yeah, yeah, like because uh, I I used to play like also like in bands and stuff in high school and we would do like jazz funk fusion shows and it's weird because right. my ba my band ended up leaving me which was a smart call because i wasn't the greatest bassist i was just a bassist uh and then they opened for like saves the day and it seemed like they were gonna live the rock star dream and then they didn't and that's life in a handbasket which is why i think you and i are writers because it's weird shit like that that you try to capture 
um, moments. Yeah, in music. It, is, yeah. It, is, it is weird, man. Like there is no there's no world in which um, even 10 years ago uh, where I would have been like, yeah, I'm going to be writing comics for part of my living. <laughs> like, <laughs> I would I would have probably told you told you sooner that I was like working my adult lab job and like playing gigs in the summer, you know? <laughs> Honestly, I know people who do that, so it's cool that we you pivoted this way because then we met and now we're talking about your amazing project. So yeah, um, it's, it's a good place to be, man. And and like yeah. you know, speaking to the experience with music, it really does inform a lot of my comics. Like I think that um, I I felt that pretty early on, like inside of a couple of issues, I was able to really figure out out of control pacing and i i do believe that a lot of that is because i have a lot of experience with music you know i thought of things very rhythmically mm -hmm. um and even how the design of the page um even more so than like the amount of panels on the page or what's being shown in the panels uh is going to contribute to the speed at which someone is going to read um and sort of the weight or the accent right that uh, each panel is going to deliver like i always talk about comics and i don't remember if i had mentioned this at that dinner mm -hmm. i've always said that comics are the jazz of literature you know and, and it behaves very much analogous in that way um mm -hmm. and and also you know coincidentally comics and jazz are like two of the only uh, purely american art forms so wow yeah. didn't even realize that coincidence but yeah that's cool also, your your use of paneling and, and structure is amazing because, like, I, you know, I script myself and uh, the stuff that you're able to write out or just think of in terms of how to panel and lay, lay out a page is pretty fucking cool. So kudos to that. I appreciate it, man. It, it took time to develop, I think. Um, you know, it, it, it over the course of the series, I, I don't know. I think in the beginning I was timid mm -hmm. um, and the further I got, more i realized okay maybe i do have some valid valuable inputs when it comes to design and sort of the visual delivery of the page and uh by the time we got to issue five um with sam you know i, I think I, one i was confident to uh i was also working with sam so that helps <laughs> yeah. um but um no i i think we were really able to, to hash that out and they're honestly man like a lot of this also speaks to my collaboration with him in particular because there are times where i'm like i have this idea does it work you know like i think there's a, a particular page where you probably saw the script i think it's like the third third page, third page? Yeah. where yeah. there's a crack that like pro proliferates and becomes the the panel borders for the mm -hmm. page right mm -hmm. yeah um and i remember writing that in the script and like i think there's a note in there that says Sam can like, does this work? <laughs> like, like is, will this actually visually work? You know, so there are times where I just kind of have an inkling of an idea and be like, like, is this? Am I? Am I insane? Am I drunk? Like, <laughs> and a little bit of both. What, yeah. Right. Like, what? What is the deal here? And uh, fortunately, you know, like I said, uh, a lot of credit to him, man. He's he's able to deliver these concepts that I'm not even sure would have worked uh, in the first place. Yeah, and honestly, it, it does look really cool. Um, but people should buy the comic to check it out. Uh, all right, there's only a few questions left. We've gone through most of them, so we're nearing the end of our little talk, which has been fun. Thank you again. Um, 
All right, so let's talk about identity because this is this is the thing that made me go. This is a fucking dope story. Um, much of Area Fifty One, the Helix Project, is about Kent accepting his identity. I don't know if I want to tell people why. Yeah, you you can do it. Oh yeah, yeah. So it's like accepting his alien identity more or less, and the trauma of loss. Which I'll leave it at that. Um, what what does this theme mean to you? Why why did you make this comic about? Uh, so much and focused around the idea of identity and loss of identity and trying to figure your place out in the world. Very Superman metaphoric, uh, which I put in the review, so it's not a spoiler. But yeah. Yeah. Yeah, no, I mean, it was, um, I don't know. I, I Part of it, like I said, said, was that I was in this weird, really fluid transitional period in my life. And I really had no idea who I wanted to be anymore. You know, like I, I grew up through high school went through most of college just being like okay like i'm gonna go get my phd and work in a lab and maybe lead a couple research projects when i get a couple years under my belt and then you know uh that new york comic-con happened and 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 it seemed like my life was going to change and then the, the pandemic happened and life changed for pretty much everybody on the face of the planet um and you know, when it, when it came down to uh, uh, part of it was just like this beautiful confluence in the fact that I was going to school for molecular genetics. And when I decided I wanted to do sci-fi sort of represent um, you know, things that I already knew about and that I could sort of integrate as a tool, um, I was like, well, you know, your DNA is your physical identity. Mm-hmm. Um, and how can I tell a story about shape-shifting aliens and dna and and make it emotionally pure um because at the end of the day yes the story is like fun genre stuff and and action and there's action and murder and yeah your your ability to pivot towards genres and elements and themes is amazing because it actually a lot of the times not to be mean to other people but a lot of the times people don't pull it off well this this flowed tremendously well but i didn't mean to cut you off sorry go ahead no hey i appreciate that man That, that that means a great deal to hear um and, and but really, I, I wanted to um, wanted to tell a story that I thought would that anybody could relate to because I think no matter what angle you come at it from, at some point or another, everybody struggles to figure out who they want to be uh, in the context of the world that they live in, or in the context of what they what what they think the world is going to be. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, I don't know. I just I kept thinking about. Um, this idea, like, I don't remember what exactly spawned it, but, um, like, I got more into, like, Superman uh, as, as like, a, a young adult. Like, it took me until a little bit later to, to really appreciate that character. And I was like, you know, Superman's story would have been really different if he looked, uh, if he didn't look like the sort of image that um, was, I guess, that, that society, that American society at the time was beholden to, right? Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. Superman looked like a pretty chiseled uh, white dude with great hair mm-hmm. and a pretty smile. The Greek god, uh, more or less, but yeah. Right, yeah. And so um, there was something about that that I thought was really interesting and would would, would make uh, this character, my protagonist, Kent, um, vulnerable and, and easy to explore these ideas through. And, um, you know, I, I had this... There were a couple things, man, uh, that really went into it and, and just wanting to uh, explore some things about myself, um, figuring out who I wanted to be in the face of a world that, like, 
everybody kind of goes through this, goes through this to a degree, but like mm-hmm. trying to figure ourselves out in like this, this ocean of sound and like opinions. Um, and, and there is a, a, a certain amount of discernment that has to go into that and figuring what you're going to filter out what you're going to allow in, what is forcing itself in upon you. And so I, I thought that, you know, I don't know, this was a really good opportunity to do that. And, you know, I talk about how this story is, 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 is also about how you reconcile your identity with loss, um, or with, uh, memories. And I think about, you know, also when it relates to identity, how your perception of people change, uh, changes and how people change from what you remember them to be. And, and it, and it also, like, as you get older, you begin to question, like, was this person how I remembered them? Uh, like, was that an accurate perception of who they were? Were they lying? Mm-hmm. Um, because they've changed, does that undermine the memory of them? You know, like I, yeah. I mean, as you get into issue five of the book and obviously issue six, you begin to realize that like there's a part in my like big pitch where I talk about Kent having to face a twisted ghost from his past challenges everything he knows about himself and um you know i i was going through something where i had uh uh, just a a family member who i had grown up with who um was kind of deteriorating in his old age and uh, i just had i had nothing but fond memories of him as a kid and you know i i remember hearing all these things uh, about him later in life where he was just doing things that were moreover representations of him just being uh, of him kind of losing his mind and becoming incontinent. Mm-hmm. And uh, I wanted to wrestle with that a little bit in the story um, because I was questioning whether or not or how to proceed forward. Like, do I, do I let this person they've become under the weight of you know, their, 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 their aging brain affect these fond memories I have of them um, or, you know, or or do I have to be stern and do I have to look at them for what they are now um, and, and sort of, you know, let them handle the repercussions of that. Um, and so, yeah, it just all that kind of spiraled into the story. And it, it comes off really well. I don't want to ruin it for anyone reading it. Um, I had no idea that it was so personal and that you transcribed uh, or translated some of um, those experiences into an actual thing. That explains a lot, though, in terms of why it's so intimate. But yeah. Yeah, yeah, believe cool. it or not, I, I, I so <laughs> part of the reason why it took me so long to kind of explain that was because I, I don't think I've ever said it out loud. <laughs> oh, oh my God. <laughs> well, thank you for sharing that. I won't put it in the headline, um, but yeah, <laughs> I mean, I could, but no, nah, um, that, yeah, that's, that's dope. Cause like, you know, it's, it's funny cause, um, well, not funny, but, um, everyone seems to, they're like, they're, some of their best works comes from places of like trying to process. Like when Scott did Court of Owls, it was like. The issues that you know dealing with family and stuff and like honestly everything that i do is a way to basically not pay for therapy and just do it through words yeah. um but yeah um that's art man that's what art is it's yeah communication you know so, and, and more often than not i think you're you're trying to figure out how you want to communicate a feeling or a thought on something you use the art to process that um whether it's you're just trying to find a sort of clearer picture or um, you trying to figure out whether your understanding of something is, um, you know, correct or uh, is valid or not, you know, you, yeah, I mean, I, I think at the end of the day, like, 
that uh, it's almost the number one goal is that you're, you're trying to work through something or communicate an idea or a feeling uh, or a thought. Um, you're, you're, you're kind of using the art as a, as a way to translate that. Yeah. And uh, like, it makes lots of sense to me now that um, the way that the story went, the details and the, the hard hitting, um, I guess, twists and turns. Cause one, oh, I didn't even mention this earlier. You, you, one of the things I do like about your comic is um, every issue ends on a nice um, cliffhanger where it's like, well, shit, I have to read the next one. Cause this is really good in terms of like the hard hitting, like climax and the, and the tension that builds up to it. So like um, for it to go down this path and you sharing your story, thank you again. Uh, that is touching as fuck dude. So like, props man like it, it it shows the art shows yeah i appreciate that you know like i said um i think there is an honesty that you that that a writer um should have in their work and and for me like no i, I just i wanted to follow that um that ideal through particularly on this this first story and you know, everything that I've written since has, has very much um, also represented that. And I, I think it makes it easier for people to connect with um, and relate to. And at the end of the day, as much as I want the story to be entertaining or cool or uh, dramatic or, or whatever, uh, or moody, like I, I want it, I want like the, the things that mean the most to me are the people that come up and say uh, that the experiences of, of, of a character um, have resonated with them in some way um you know those those are like the the life-changing exchanges that i have with people that that read this stuff um and and so i think that 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 feeling that i get from those interactions as well as the feeling that i get for for just being able to explore these these ideas or these feelings or these thoughts through through um art um i think that they tend to be signs that you know that is the the right way to approach it yeah totally um all right so we're we're pretty much at the end um last two questions uh first is what is and this is a question that i ask every comic guest and i, I might even do like a i don't know like a uh whatchamacallit uh, a list of everyone's response to this question because it, it is i think a good one um <clears throat> What's the one thing you want readers to take away from Area 51, the Helix Project? Um, that you know, everything and everybody in this world is trying to tell you something about yourself um, and about the way that you understand the world. That at the end of the day, um, in order to feel fulfilled or satiated in how you understand yourself and everything around you, um, you, you, you have to get out there and you, you need to, need to seek it out yourself. Um, these things will not come to you, at least not, um, there's not, you won't come to an organic understanding of the world if you don't look for it. And I, I think that, you know, a lot of the time people are okay with being handed like a personality or an identity on a silver platter. Um, and I, I tend to think that they're, they're all the worse for it. And, you know, it's representative in Kent's journey that, you know, you, you in order to find yourself uh, in the world, it, it's going to take some work and some effort and, and you know, some tears and, and maybe some sleepless nights. But I think at the end of the day, um, that's how you come out of these things 
the, with a stronger, firmer you that has the agency to accomplish the things that you want to accomplish. And that's an awesome takeaway for anyone looking to uh, to buy the, the comic. Um, finally, and this is an easy one, um, where can people find you online? And more importantly, where can they support the comic? Um, well, uh, you can... Uh, so I publish under um, uh, my own sort of owned publishing imprint, Pocket Watch Press. Uh, you can find me on uh, Facebook and on Instagram at Pocket Watch Press. You can find me on Twitter due to character limitations at PWatch Press. And if you want to support this comic, we'll be going live on Kickstarter with the sixth and final issue of the series. Um, I want to say January 16th. Uh, as of recording this now, the middle of December, the pre-launch page is up for the Kickstarter. Um, if you want to be of the first group of people to be notified when that campaign goes live, you can go uh, look it up now. Uh, if you happen to find me on social media, I'll always have a link tree in the bio. That will also have a link to that to notify me upon launch button. Um, that way you can get in right on the ground floor. Uh, this campaign will have all of the issues available for you to catch up if you've never, um, if you haven't gotten into the series so far. The cool thing about the Kickstarters are that uh, you will also have a bunch of opportunities to um, uh, take part in uh, things that I would never otherwise be able to offer. Uh, like there's always at least one opportunity to get drawn into the book, uh, which there will be this one. Um, there is only one, actually. Uh, you can become an official producer of the series and, and be memorialized inside the book uh, with a full credit. Um and there's a, there's a lot of cool stuff that I'll design, like prints or merchandise that's only, um, only that only goes to Kickstarter backers. So yeah, just uh, it gives you it gives you a level of intimacy with the material and, and something that I think is interesting to provide generally. Also, uh, because this is my first project, and, and I you know I think that that that's pretty special to um, to have somebody so to have really anybody so closely related to something. Uh, so early on in my career uh, and something that means so much to me. So yeah, um, I hope you guys will consider backing that a big, big way to help me out. Um, we're trying to break 10 K this next campaign. And uh, if anybody knows me prior, you know that all of that money is going to go into obviously paying for the printing of this book, but then further into the next project. Um, so yeah, that's where you can find me. Um, babbling about comics and rambling incoherently about things as I might have done tonight, <laughs> which I apologize for. Not at all. Uh, you, you were on point, man. Uh, man, it's 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 been a it's honestly man like an absolute pleasure to chat. Uh, and you know, Christian, this was a, a really uh, I mean to no surprise uh, a really insightful interview with great questions and great conversation. Uh, and I'm I'm really grateful uh, that you had me on, man. So thank you. Yeah, thanks, Trevor. And like seriously, go support uh, Area Fifty One Helix Project. And um, yeah, for any listeners, I I will resume doing some interviews and such again soon. I uh, just life life is really busy. I'm sure all of you know what that's like. Um, until then, uh, tune in as always. Um, check out Bilal's uh. Uh, Gamescast, which is what this has become mostly. Um, and yeah, uh, please uh, enjoy your holidays that's coming up and um, support your indie artists and comic book creators, okay? All right, everyone, take care. Bye.